Money Sense is brought to you by the Ellenbecker Investment Group, three-time recipient of the Better Business Bureau's Torch Award for business ethics and integrity. The Ellenbecker Investment Group is the only Wisconsin investment company to receive this prestigious award more than once by providing exceptional planning and extraordinary service each and every day. Go to ellenbecker.com. Listen to Money Sense Saturdays at 2 p.m. and Sundays at noon. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker, founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellenbecker Investment Group. We're located in Pewaukee, just east of Highway 164 and Capitol Drive. We're in that great big, beautiful town bank building. We're also in the village of Whitefish Bay in the Equitable Bank building, just directly across from Winkies. We also serve as clients in Bonita Springs, Florida. My guest today is Diane Gastro. Diane Gastro is the director of insurance planning for Ellenbecker Investment Group. And what I I'd like to do is um, well. First of all, Diane, welcome <laughs> to the Hello, show. Hello, Karen. Thank you. Happy New Year. Thank you. And you know, Diane, this has been such a crazy year. And just when we think we might be getting a handle on COVID and people getting sick and all of those different things, of course, you know, it all seems to start up again. And here we are. And so I wanted to bring insurance on as the beginning of the new year because so many people unexpectedly became sick. They lost their jobs. Um, there are so many young families out there with maybe missing a parent and, um, and many people who have been disabled. And so I would like it if we could kind of touch on all of those different things. And if you could just give us a general introduction on why insurance is so important in the planning, most people just think about an advisory firm like Ellen Becker Investment Group that we you know, manage money. But yet it's so important to look at all these different facets before you even begin the idea of how to manage someone's money. Karen, I can't say enough about how happy I am to be doing what I do for EIG. I just celebrated my six-year anniversary as an employee of the firm. And when I came on board, I had previously been a commissioned salesperson. And in speaking with you and Julie, we talked about how important it is to help our clients use insurance as a tool, as part of their financial plan, not as a product that we try to sell. Because if insurance is applied appropriately, it can be the best thing ever for a client. But if they have the wrong life insurance or not enough life insurance, or they don't have the beneficiary designations correct, they don't have... Um, disability income insurance or understanding what they have, the plan could totally fall apart. Like you said, if someone dies, if a parent is missing, if someone loses a job, someone gets sick, life can change on a dime. And so having a handle on how insurance fits into the planning and what it means at a given point in time is so important. So I'm really excited that I get to help people do that as part of their overall EIG plan. And so typically for you, some of the things that you might be looking at just to give people kind of an idea. I know one of the things we always do is review insurance that people currently own to make sure that it's adequate to make sure, as you said, beneficiaries are. But can you talk about some of the things that you look at and you help people with within this realm of planning? So one of the things that I always want to have when I'm working with our advisor team is information about where our clients are today. I know you talk about this a lot on the radio program is if you're in the mall and you have a we are here, 
that's what I want to do within insurance is find out what's your financial situation today and what is your insurance plan today. Then I identify where there might be missing coverage to protect you and what you're trying to accomplish moving forward. For example, if someone is working, they work every day because they need an income to pay the bills, to save for retirement, things like that. What happens if there's an injury or an illness and they can't work? How do we cover that income? That's disability insurance. What happens if someone dies unexpectedly? How do we keep the rest of our family financial goals on track? Life insurance. If somebody is aging or has an illness or an accident and needs long-term care services, how do you pay for that? That's my long-term care insurance planning. We have planning for paying for burial trusts. We have planning for young children to lock in their insurability, not because we really are concerned that someone's gonna to die today, but maybe when they get older, they might have an illness, they can't get new insurance. So setting that up for them to succeed in the future. So many people think of insurance as something that is just not needed. And um, when we look at the needs of a client, we really look at what would have to be replaced. I mean, it is a process to figure out. It's not just go out and buy insurance. It's actually a process that you determine what that insurance is for and how much might you need. And we have found people that are totally you know, lack of insurance, no insurance at all, or underinsured. And then, of course, we have found people who are overinsured. And all of those scenarios don't work for a good planning process. And the other part of that, Karen, is that when somebody does get the right insurance in place at a specific period in their planning process, that may not be the right insurance three years from now, five years from now, or 10 years from now. So a big portion of what I do is help people revisit the planning they've already done and making certain that it is, in fact, solving their needs today moving forward. We don't care what the past looked like. We want to look at where are you today and what do we need to address moving forward. And we did touch briefly on the whole beneficiary designation. I had a meeting a number of months ago with a man who had his former wife as the beneficiary, and we discovered that during our planning. He put his hand on his current wife's knee, looked her in the eyes and was crying and said, honey, I'm so sorry. I didn't know. But we took care of it and fixed it for him right then and there. Oh. You know, Diane, the other thing with beneficiary designations is most people um, think in their minds, well, I have a will or I have a trust and I say everything goes to my spouse and then it gets divided between my children. But when you're looking at insurance or when you're looking at IRA um, beneficiary de designations, any beneficiary designation, that is dealt with outside of any estate planning that you've done. And so the most important thing is coordinating those beneficiary designations with whatever you really want in your total estate planning plan. And that gives you an example of how that would have not been what he wanted. Absolutely. And people think, well, I got divorced. Wouldn't that automatically change? No, it doesn't automatically <laughs> change. It's a proactive step that needs to be taken. And we do that fairly frequently with our clients. I want to mention two things because people often think of insurance, people who are sending me um, 
who are getting their insurance proceeds and they're thinking that that they go to their children, um, they don't often really realize that as part of their overall estate. And there's insurance that goes along with their employment very often. There's insurance that they may have. And sometimes it's important to get that insurance out of the taxable estate. And those are the types of things that you're looking at all the time. And People don't even know that because like you say, they may have started out with a large insurance policy with a, a million dollars or 500,000 when they were very young with a young family. And now they've had a great job. They've saved money and they have to look at it now from a taxable situation as well. Yes, that is one of the things we look at. Sometimes people understand or maybe they don't understand that the death benefit in and of itself is typically going to be income tax free to the beneficiaries. However, the value of that death benefit is includable in the valuation of someone's estate for estate tax purposes or for wealth transfer purposes. So that needs to be evaluated as part of their overall financial picture. So half of it doesn't end up going to taxes. The other thing I want to mention with Ellen Becker Investment Group is that our department, your salary, you're not paid on the policies that you sell, you have no incentive other than to do absolutely the right thing for the client and the need of the client. And then on, on the other hand, we don't represent just one insurance company. You have the ability to look at all the insurance companies out there that can really be the most appropriate for that client and the client's needs. And Karen, one of the most satisfying things for me is to look at someone's existing life insurance and say, do you know what? It's working the way it's supposed to. Let's keep an eye on it. We'll revisit in a few years. But if a change needs to be made, it's nice. Again, like you said, we have access to about 40 of the top insurance companies in the nation. I can't work with proprietary firms, but the names that people have heard of, John Hancock, Prudential, Principal, Nationwide, you know, some of those top carriers, we can access their products and help people solve their insurance planning needs with the best of the best. Diane, I think what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, let's take a look at, let's do a deeper dive into life insurance and how it can work, not only for a husband, a wife, but for children and how someone can identify the needs that they might have. And with that, we're going to be right back. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker. I'm the founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellenbecker Investment Group. My guest today is Diane Gastro. Diane is the director of insurance planning for the Ellenbecker Investment Group. And I want to mention that we only do insurance planning for our clients. And we do it as part of the overall planning because we're about looking at more. We want to make sure that any decisions that we make are in alignment with what our clients want and in alignment with the planning that they've actually done. And insurance is a huge piece um, for individuals within the scope of what they really want, which requires us to really listen. And you listen to what the client really wants. Some people want to leave money to their children. Some people don't. Some people want to just make sure that they and their spouse is taken care of or they are. So insurance is different for everyone. There is no one size fits all. So can you talk a little bit about how you move forward with a client and help to identify what types of needs they have, and then how you actually look at the different products to fulfill those needs. 
Thank you, Karen. I'm happy to talk about that. One of the things I want to touch on is nobody really wants to talk about life insurance. People aren't calling me to say, hey, come on over to my cocktail party. I want to have you talk to my friends about life insurance. But it's really important to talk about it before something happens. You know, what if you're diagnosed with cancer? What if you get COVID and have some severe consequences? The time to have the conversation is when you are healthy. Insurance policies go through underwriting, meaning you have to qualify for the coverage. It's not something that everybody can get. So I do want to talk to people about if you died tomorrow, who would suffer a financial loss? Is it your children? Is it your spouse? Are you supporting your parents? How can we pay off debt? Those are all things we want to look at and figure out how much life insurance is needed. Most of those situations I just spoke about, you know, making certain your kids have enough money to go to college or that your surviving spouse has enough money for retirement. Most of those are going to be solved and temporary in nature. So term insurance is really my recommended product of choice. It's going to be the lowest cost, but it's going to provide protection for a specified period of time. There are insurance policies out there that are more permanent in nature. They may have cash accumulation, they may not. But again, it's got to be consistent with what you're trying to achieve from a risk management protection standpoint and also from a cash, a cash flow standpoint. I can give you the greatest Cadillac Escalade in the world, but if you can't afford a Cadillac Escalade, I haven't really done any good for your planning. So like he said, I listen, who's going to be hurt if something happens to you if you pass away? And then we try to find whether it's term life insurance or something more permanent in nature, a policy that works for that. A lot of people will say, hey, you know, I'm the at-home parent. I'm raising the kids. I don't really have much of an income. I don't need insurance. Well, you're still adding value to the family and to the home. So we need to look at what would be required to replace what you do for everybody. So maybe even the non-working spouse might need to have some life insurance to make certain that the surviving spouse has flexibility and freedom to make choices beyond your passing away. Well, so often one person is the major breadwinner in a family and the other person's salary is less because they're doing more home functions and they're doing other things, or they just don't have that type of a, a paid job. And if the person passes away, or gets disabled, of course, that is, um, that is the breadwinner, that spouse doesn't have the ability to save for retirement, doesn't have the type of salary that they can to maybe meet the dreams and the wishes that they really wanted to together. So, and we do see that quite a bit. I also want to look at how much debt someone has. Because if you pass away tomorrow, if I pass away tomorrow, and I have a fair amount of debt, how does that get paid off? You know, whether it's a mortgage, student loans, a car loan, whatever. I want my spouse to have enough money to pay off that debt if that's the best decision. Again, when he receives that lump sum of cash from the insurance company, I encourage him to talk to his advisor here at EIG to say, should we pay off the house or does it make more sense to do something else? Because it's always a decision, but you have to have the cash to make that decision. That gives you freedom and flexibility to do the right thing at the right time. That's one of my big um, 
Soapboxes with insurance is making informed decisions so that you can do the right thing in the right way at the right time for your purposes, not because you're scrambling to just make ends meet. Well, and to also keep a record of your insurance so that if something should happen, people can actually find it and, and they know what you have. And that's, Karen, that's something that I try to put together for our clients is an inventory of all of their existing life insurance. I list the name of the company, the policy number, the face amount, death benefit amount. You know, is there cash in the contract? What are the premiums? How long will it stay in force? I want there to be a centralized record to make the process as smooth as possible if there is that untimely and unfortunate death. Diane, let's talk a little bit about those beneficiary designations again, because they're so important. So a scenario would be that there is um, a husband and wife and they've got a million dollars worth of life insurance or $500,000, whatever the number is. And on their forms, they have their spouse and then they've listed their children. Now their children are young and all of a sudden each one of those children is gonna get a huge lump sum of money when they're 18. Is that really, or 21, is that really gonna be what you want? So one of the things that you wanna make sure of is that whatever your policies are worth, and Diane, you look at this all the time and say, you have insurance that's worth you know, a million dollars or whatever it is, and this gets paid right out to your beneficiaries but you have a trust that says everything goes into a trust for them so that it is protected against any another act an accident that they might get into or any type of a situation and so it's really important to know what your trust says or what your will says and then to determine where do you want those proceeds to go if you have children that have any kind of issues and they're not very good with money you don't want them to get a huge lump of sum that they can blow all at once that's very true. And it may not even be that they have issues and they're not good with money. Children very often by nature are young and <laughs> yes. make bad decisions, right? And they have friends that might prey on them and help them make bad decisions. So many of our attorneys do recommend that we list the family trust, the, the revocable trust as the beneficiary on the policies. So then the proceeds from the policies go down to the children per the terms of the trust, rather than an 18 year old all of a sudden getting a million dollars of tax-free money, which disincentivizes them from making good choices moving forward. I did some insurance for a man a number of years ago that he had inherited that million. It led him down a very self-destructive path. I was talking with him when he was virtually poor and he'd made a lot of bad choices, but he was ready to get back on track because of those choices, it was hard for me to get insurance for him. So it just took time and hard work to clean up the path to give him good choices moving forward. Let's talk about some individuals that might feel that they're not insurable because of some health issues or driving records or other types of things. Um, how do you approach that when it is difficult? First of all, I don't have a crystal ball. I'm not a doctor and I am not an underwriter. And I don't think most of our clients are either. So I encourage people not to have predisposed notions about their insurability. And even if they have been declined coverage from a different insurance company, they, we should still talk about it and determine is there a market that might offer them coverage. So different insurance companies look at the exact same health situation differently. A real simple example is smoking. 
I have one company that if you smoke 10 cigars a day, you're still a non-smoker. Almost all the rest of the insurance companies would consider you a smoker. So let's look at you know, what's the best carrier for your situation. Some carriers will give you a standard rate class after one OWI. Others will want you to wait or they might in charge an increased cost to have coverage. The same thing goes for cancers, depending on the stage and the grade and the treatment and how long it's been since you completed um, treatments. You may or may not be eligible for insurance now, and it may be more expensive, so we have to get more creative in how we design your plan. There are going to be certainly situations where someone is in the middle. I've got an application right now. During the process of underwriting, they came down with COVID. So we have to just put everything on hold get through their COVID situation, make certain they're clean and clear with no residual effects, and then we'll start up the process again. So it's a matter of communication, communication, answering questions. Sometimes I get very personal with questions, but it's not for judging anyone. And it's also not for conversation you know, with anybody else. It's very um, private and confidential in the relationship that we have. Diane, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, let's talk then about disability, because that is something that happens to a lot of a lot of individuals. And, you know, often people think, well, it's an accident at work and, or something like that. But I remember when Christopher Reeves fell off the horse and yeah. and he was disabled for a very long time and needed extensive care. And unfortunately, that situation, it was a few years later that his wife passed away and um, at, as well. And they had a son, as I believe. And that son had to go with relatives. So that is a situation that we do see. It's not, you know, it's not something or two parents are killed in a car accident um, or other things work-related that they're disabled. So let's take that break and when we come back, let's talk about the importance of disability insurance. Welcome to Money Sets. I'm Karen Ellenbecker, the founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellenbecker Investment Group. And I'm so happy to say that we have completed our 25th year of um, Ellen Becker Investment Group. I've been in the business over 30 years. And um, in addition to that, Money Sense now has been on about 30, 32 years um, that we've been doing Money Sense. And I think um, that has got to be a record. <laughs> and it's absolutely been wonderful because our radio show that we're doing today, and I have been doing for about 20 years, is really. Um, all about education and it's helping not only our listeners and our clients to really understand what their choices are and then they can make good decisions and it's not we never think of anything as a one size fits all so we try to outline the different ways that people can approach any type of planning that we do and one of the important things that people often overlook because they're self-employed or they don't have it through their company is the importance of disability insurance so if you could help our listeners understand how that works and how it might be applied to them First of all, Karen, I will say that the likelihood of a working individual, so during the working years, it's a greater likelihood that they will become disabled and unable to work versus dying. We have sort of gotten accustomed to buying home and auto insurance, 
we're sort of begrudgingly buying life insurance, but disability insurance is really important because what happens if you can no longer work because of an illness or an injury? And that doesn't mean that you got hurt at work. Like you said earlier, this could be you're out for a bike ride and you hit a pothole and you know, you're injured in that accident or you get some significant illness that you're going to recover from potentially, but you can't work anymore. How do you continue paying all those bills that you worked for? You were working to pay the mortgage. You were working to put food on the table, to pay for your car payments, to pay for health insurance. If you can't do that, whether it's an injury or an illness or an accident, it doesn't really matter. You still need money coming in the door. And the amount of money you need might even be greater because now you're not working and you may lose your life, or excuse me, your health insurance. And then you've got all the medical costs that go with it. So disability income insurance is, that's it. It's guaranteeing your income or a portion of your income if you can no longer work. Most, I shouldn't say most, many of our employers offer both short-term and long-term disability income insurance. They're sort of self-explanatory. Short-term is going to be anything from three months up to six months on average. The, your employer buys a policy for you that if you cannot work, it will pay a portion of your income. And the key word there is a portion of your income. Typically, it's going to cover 60% of your pre-disability income in that range, but then there's a cap. So if you're making $100,000 a year, maybe you're going to get that full $60,000, which is 60%. But if you're making $400,000 a year, there might be a cap of six, eight, ten thousand $10,000 a month. So you're losing a much greater percentage of your income if you're a higher income earner. The your employer pays the premiums. So when you receive that income, it's a lower amount. The employer pays the premium. So you pay taxes on it, just like any other income that you have. So that goes down even further and gives you less to live on, let alone save for retirement. Because you can't save for, for retirement if you're not paying your bills today. So that short term is very nice. And then there's also what's called long-term disability. If your injury or illness results in your inability to work for a longer period of time, that could be a five-year benefit. It could be to your normal retirement age. Again, a lot of those benefits are going to have a monthly maximum, and you're going to pay taxes on those benefits if your employer pays for the premiums. So we first of all want to find out what do you have, and then identify what's that gap of what you need to keep your household operating the way you've come to live, keep your lifestyle somewhat consistent. And what is the difference between when an employer pays the premium and when you pay the premium? So if the employer pays the premium, the benefits that you receive from the plan are taxable. If you take after-tax dollars to pay the premium, so you buy a supplemental plan on top of your employer plan, or you buy your own plan because they don't even offer it, then you're paying for those premiums with after-tax dollars and the benefits come to you income tax-free. One Which thing I'll tell you, yeah, that's huge. It's huge. But one thing I will tell you is if you're making $100,000 today, you are never going to get $100,000 worth of disability income insurance because they want you to be incentivized to go back to work. They don't want to make it so nice for you to stay home and collect the check. 
that you choose not to go back to work. And what is the difference between own occupation? You hear that a lot when you talk about disability. So when you're talking about insurance plans, they're looking at your ability to work at all versus do what you did before you were disabled. So let's just look at a surgeon. All of a sudden, something happens to him and he can't operate any longer. Right. So the policies that have a limited own occupation period would require him to go get a job, any job, after that own occupation period ended. Mm-hmm. So especially for some of the more, um, like you said, surgeons, more of the technical, fully trained occupations, we want to make certain there is an own occupation period that is much longer and broader. So they're not required to go be a lecturer or a teacher at the medical college or heaven forbid, you know, the joke we always say is, yeah, I don't want to have to go flip hamburgers. <laughs> But, you know, we don't want the insurance company dictating what kind of job you have to take if your life changes on a dime. So how does someone determine? um, I know you spoke about it a little bit, but someone's out there listening and saying, I know I've got disability insurance, but I have no clue how it works. I started my job 20 years ago and I signed up for it. How do they approach that? And when, when do you think people don't need it anymore? I mean, they need it up until the point that they quit working, I suppose. First of all, in trying to determine what you have and how it works, your employer is going to have a plan and plan documents that you can get from them. Very often each year in the fall, you get a notification of it's time to review your um, you know, coverage options through your employer and accept what you wanna have moving forward. Then if you can't really tell what's there, if you go to your HR, your human resources uh, team, they should be able to provide you more in-depth documents. If our clients provide those to me, I can interpret to a large degree. Sometimes I come up with more questions, but again, let's start with what we do know so that we can make informed decisions on what you need moving forward. And the you had another part to the question that I already forgot what it was. <laughs> and how, how long does a person actually think that they need to have that disability in place? Some people continue working because they like to have a little bit of extra spending money or they really enjoy what they're doing. I would encourage people to keep disability income insurance as long as they are relying on that income to support their lifestyle. So if you're 62 and you have enough saved for retirement, you have no debt, but you're working because you like what you do and you don't want to quit, maybe you don't need as much disability income insurance because you're not as reliable on the income. That's the triggering piece is what are you reliable on that income for? So if someone gets disability insurance and they're doing one job and they change to a different job that might be less, they still can keep that same disability insurance. Absolutely. I give the example to some of my, you know, like you said, my doctors or whoever it is, maybe they have very stressful jobs. And now they've decided that I've enjoyed this, but I don't want to be a doctor anymore. Now I would really love to be a landscaper. I love plants. I love planting trees. So they're out there using their hands, working in a very different, um, physically challenging position. They pay their insurance premiums based upon what they were doing at the time they bought the policy. So if somebody was a computer IT specialist or they were a you know, general practitioner physician, 
they didn't necessarily have real physical jobs at the time. So they were rated at a rate class that they were unlikely to need a disability as much as someone who was a ditch digger or who was um, planting trees. Your occupation class goes with you when you change jobs and your policy goes with you with the same terms as long as you continue paying the premiums. I want to mention one thing before we take our last break is that these these beneficiary designations are extremely important. And maybe when you were young or you started your job and everybody is so busy trying to get going, they don't always look at all their benefits. The beneficiaries are designated on your insurance plans as well at work. And so it's critical that you also, when you go to the human resource department or whoever can help you to determine what you have, you ask them, who did I nominate as my my beneficiaries on this insurance plan? That's something that's really critical. Absolutely. And again, most people I work with don't know what coverage they have, and they just assume that their spouse is the beneficiary. But it's important to double check. My guest today is Diane Gastro. She's the Director of Insurance Planning for the Ellen Becker Investment Group. When we come back, we're going to talk about, um, well, it's a tough subject, of course, and that's long-term care. And like I mentioned earlier, Christopher Rees at a very young age needed long-term care. And there are many people who have accidents and different things that happen that puts them in a situation where they really have to um, go into some type of a care situation. And that can be very expensive. People often think that the most and the largest um, detriment to their retirement funds is their performance on their on their estates and their performance on their investments. But the truth of it is long-term care can wipe you out so quickly. And that's one of the things that we want to talk about with that. We'll be right back. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellen Becker, founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellen Becker Investment Group. Diane, one of the big things is long-term care. And of course, we've seen so many people that we hear on TV about COVID and that they have residual long-term issues um, with this. So many people we said have passed away. There are people that have long-term issues. My mother, of course, was on dialysis and that was a really difficult situation. And it comes, you know, health, health issues come at all ages. It doesn't really discriminate. So can you talk about long-term care in a way that people can understand that so often we just think of long-term care as elderly issues in a retirement home or a nursing home? And I'll do my best. Uh, That's one of the things I really try to do is help people understand so they can make informed decisions. This is another situation where when do you talk about it? Well, you talk about long-term care planning throughout your lifetime. I have a younger sister who was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis in her early 30s. First of all, I'll say she has been totally disabled ever since. So her disability income insurance has helped support her for the last 30 years. Oh boy, that makes me sound old, doesn't it? (laughs) (laughs) But the other thing to keep in mind is because her situation was so severe, in her early 30s, she went into a nursing home for over a year. She had to learn how to talk, how to walk, how to swallow. It had nothing to do with being old. It had to do with an unexpected illness that devastated and ravaged her body. 
I know more and more people in their 40s and 50s and 60s that are having strokes. So long-term care can affect you at any age. And when I'm talking about long-term care, I'm not saying, Karen, we're talking about how do we pay for a nursing home? Some people need care in a nursing home. But given the choice, most of our clients would prefer to have care in their home or potentially in an assisted living facility. Long-term care is custodial care because you can no longer take care of yourself and your physical requirements. Again, it may be because of an injury. It may be because of an illness. It may be because of an accident. Like you said, Christopher Carey, Christopher Reeves, he needed long-term care because of an accident. My sister needed long-term care because of an unexpected illness. So it can happen at any age and any stage of your life. And if you do some good planning, hopefully you'll have the resources to pay for it. People ask me, when should I talk about it? How does it fit into my financial plan? I'm trying to pay down the mortgage. I'm trying to save for retirement. I'm trying to get the kids set for college or for their future. We have this discussion throughout the planning and first of all, have awareness. Then second of all, talk about different ways to solve the financial implications if you need care. And if insurance is a solution that you decide to pursue, if it makes sense from your perspective and from your advisor's perspective, you buy the plan when you're young enough and healthy enough to qualify, but also when you have the cash flow to pay for it. You don't try to do everything in your mid-30s, but maybe when your youngest child is graduating from college, all of a sudden you've got some extra cash flow and you're earning a good income at that point. Maybe we allocate some of that cash flow towards your long-term care planning at that point. So often individuals will ask the question, how much is it gonna cost in order to do any type of long-term long care? How much is the cost that I should think about in terms of if I did have to go into some type of a facility? And I know, Diane, it varies very much depending on the facility and the care, but it can be a huge amount of money over a period of a year that people have to spend. If someone is receiving care in their home, a professional home care provider can easily cost up to $25 an hour or more. If you're in a nice assisted living facility, maybe a one bedroom or even a two bedroom facility, we're talking five to $8,000 a month. If you're in a one bedroom nursing home facility or memory care, we could easily be 10 to $15,000 a month. And again, this is just for your custodial type care. The nursing home, it pays for your room and your board, but it's not paying for the extra services. It's not paying for your doctor. It's not paying for your medication. This is just the room and board and custodial care that you need because you can no longer perform the activities of daily living. That's very common um, terminology. People refer to them as ADLs, activities of daily living. Think about what you do every day. You get up out of bed and walk across the room. You bathe yourself. You use the toilet. You feed yourself. You dress yourself. And you clean up after you use the toilet. If you can't do that independently, you're needing long-term care. Again, it could be in your home. Or potentially you have a memory issue, cognitive concerns, and you can't be left alone. Again, the care that someone provides for you, and even if it's just watching over you to make certain you're safe, that's long-term care. So we're easily talking, you know, if you're in a nursing home, we're talking over $100,000 a year to pay for that care. 
on average, 70% of the U.S. population that reaches age 65 will need some care at some point in their lives. Wow, that can be a really big number and it can devastate a client's portfolio. Let's talk a little bit about one of the scenarios that I think people overlook and they don't really realize is a lot of people will look at their estate and think that they have a very large estate. There's been one breadwinner. Um, typically it's the husband, not always. And let's say that their retirement account is worth, you know, five, six hundred thousand dollars and um, they don't realize that that account, even though both the husband and the wife have been participating because they've been married and that was marital dollars, it's under the husband's social security number. And should he get sick, he could potentially have to use up that entire retirement account when in their minds they were thinking it was both of theirs. Can you explain how that works, Diane? Yes. And again, I am not a Medicare or Medicaid planning specialist, but from the way the government looks at our assets, my husband and I both own the house. We have our 401ks. If we got divorced, everything would get split pretty much 50-50 because we both participated you know, in the household wealth building, we'll call it. However, if I had $500,000 in my 401k and he has 100,000, from a healthcare perspective, my 500,000 is for me. If I need care, I would have to spend down all that $500,000 plus the majority of our joint assets. And then I could qualify for Medicaid to help get some government assistance to pay for that care. My husband could keep the house, he would keep a car, a small amount of joint assets, and his 401k. So I could devastate our life savings. I could spend down everything, and he's left with a $100,000 401k in that example, which is not nearly enough to support his retirement lifestyle. So one of the things that we do often, Diane, with our planning process is we look at the spouse who has the larger asset bulk of money and think about it in terms of what would happen if you got sick and you had to use that up. Often we can use insurance to supplement that and say, well, you have $500,000 and if you have to use up two or 300,000 of it, maybe all we need is two or $300,000 to come back into that family pot of money once that person is deceased. And that is a great planning tool. Yes, it is. I just had a conversation with a client yesterday who's nearing retirement and has a whole life insurance policy. And they said, well, what do I need this for anymore? And I said, well, if you do nothing else, this is going to provide your surviving spouse with resources to refill your portfolio if you spend money on long-term care. So I advised this client that it made sense to keep it because it provided an extra layer of protection for the other spouse. If we were going to do any additional planning for them, my thought was maybe we buy an insurance plan on the wife. It maybe is a long-term care-based plan or maybe it's just straight life insurance, but again, to provide that same level of protection for her husband if she spends down assets to pay for care. My biggest thing about long-term care planning is understanding the risk that you might need care and the cost associated, and then different solutions to potentially pay for that care. 
Well, and Diane, I think people forget that every dollar you take out of your 401k or your retirement account is considered taxable income. So if you are required to take out the majority of the money that you need for your care, you just keep paying more and more and more and higher taxes and losing more and more of those dollars. That's why it gets eaten up so quickly. All of a sudden, you've been able to maintain being a lower tax bracket, but now you get sick and you've got to take so much money out of that IRA. And all of a sudden, when it's the least thing that you want to be paying, you're paying higher taxes. Yes. And again, if you've decided that that's what you're going to do, make that decision and be aware that's the consequences and spend that money because you did work hard and save that money to support yourself during your retirement years. If you want to leave a legacy, maybe you buy life insurance to leave the legacy to your kids or to your grandchildren. Or maybe you want to use life insurance to so that remaining 401k dollars, you can use that life insurance to pay taxes when your family members inherit those resources. There's just so many things we can do, but let's make an informed decision and look at the tools and the resources that are available. Well, and very often there is a divorce within a family and people have to then start thinking about independently or there's a second marriage. I mean, there's so many different scenarios. And the real key is what you said, Diane, is to sit down and to think about it before you have to actually make a decision on it and, and to have a plan. I guess I want to say thank you. Uh, this has been an absolutely great show. And if you would like to hear the show again, you can go to ellenbecker.com and look up Money Sense and the show will be there for you to listen to. And Diane, again, thank you and happy new year to everybody. And I just want to say, um, have a great weekend. And I hope that I've given wings to your future. And remember, before we make any decisions, it's really important. We listen and we listen and we listen. So have a great weekend. Thank you.